Hey, thanks for joining us today. And it's been great to talk over the last few episodes about all things restarts. And uh, today to close this series, I'm joined with my co-host, John Palmieri, Pastor John Palmieri. Great to be here. Paul, Paul. Paul, Mary. Paul, Pastor Peace. Danny Hello. Lopez. Yes. And then we have a very special guest, uh, our founder, senior pastor, also the president of the Moody Bible Institute, mm-hmm. Dr. Mark Job. Welcome, buddy. Yes. Hey, good to be with you guys. <laughs> and by the way, I just want to say as we start this podcast, I've known Eric since he was three I've known Paul Mary since he was 18. We were roommates at Moody. Yeah. And I've known Danny probably, what, 15 yeah, since the years or more? Late 90s. So it's great to do ministry as a team together yeah. for years. It's there's a, a lot of history here. There's a lot of yeah. history, yeah. Yeah. So we're talking all things restarts, right? <laughs> I just, what I just thought was, we're all old. <laughs> No. Come on. He said I was three, so I've got a little bit of margin there. There you go. You're the, you're the young side of our oldness. So. You know. So, Danny, we've talked about restarts, right? Um, yeah. The last couple episodes. and Yeah, we talked about defining a restart. What, what are we calling it? Why, why do a restart? We uh, talked about the pastoral perspective of a restart. That was my story uh, when we came in, not just with uh, Tri Taylor, but now... When we had the move, a lot of uh, tears in that episode. Oh boy, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we got the the latest place, our um, Carpenter's House, which is now, of course, New Life Community Church. That was a restart. That was a great story. Uh, church being restarted, members' perspective. We talked about that, and of course, the power of central service. That must have been an amazing uh, episode. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And today we got um, Pastor Mark here, and we're we're going to be talking about um, restarts. And we thought it'd be good to have you. Uh, come as the expert, right? You, you don't probably uh, consider yourself that, but there's very few people who have uh, uh, the amount of restarts under their belt than than you do, you know, in leading this team. So I was thinking about it, Eric. The first restart that we did was uh, 2000, uh, the year 2000, which was uh, Lakeview. But really, the original church was a restart of sorts as well. Right which was 35 years ago. Mm -hmm. So if you do something long enough, consistently for a long time, I guess you become an expert. (laughs) (laughs) You got the more stories to tell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so today we thought it'd be good to maybe, um, you know, we've talked about the past over what everything that we've learned over the last 20 years, right, or even 35 years, um, with restarts, even creating a definition, what does it mean, and uh, people's perspectives, but I think it'd be good to not just look backwards, but to look forward. Um, we live in an interesting time right now, um, the, and so we'd like to talk about the future, and I think we'd love to hear your perspective as well on that. And so we got a couple questions, and I think we'll just uh, we'll see where that goes. Yeah, great. John, you want to yeah. kick it off? Yeah, <clears throat> Pastor Mark, or affectionately Mark. <laughs> it's great to have you uh, helping us conclude this podcast. It's been quite a journey, and I think that a lot of people are going to benefit from this podcast. Yeah, um, I just, you know, I've known you for a long time. I think one of the distinctions that we have here at New Life Community Church is that we have a team that's been together for a long time, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of value that, that comes from that. But I've been wondering all these years, probably 30, 35 years, I've been wanting to ask you this forever, uh, what's it feel like to have such a, a biblical name, Mark <laughs> Job? <laughs> and we got the New Testament, we got the Old Testament. 
Well, it's, it's like? not quite as compelling as John, Paul, and Mary, <laughs> but uh, it, is, it is a pretty good name. Yeah, you yeah. know, when I meet people, and I know they're Christians, I say, you know, just, just think Old Testament, New Testament, Job and Mark. So Mark and Job, so absolutely. There you go. And your middle, name's, your middle name's Edward, right? No, it's, it's an apocrypha, but I go by Edward. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, Edward is in line, which in the wardrobe, he's one of the key guys yeah, for C.S. Lewis' yeah. trilogy there. So you've you got a very spiritual name. But I have you be John, Paul, and Mary. That's yeah, right. you can't, yeah, it's part of my destiny, you know. Yeah. And my middle name's Christopher, so I don't have any options. I have to be oh, in the but Mark, you know, you grew up in you grew up in uh, uh, in Spain. Mm-hmm. You were born in Gary, Indiana. I yep. think that's one reason why my heart's endeared towards you. We're talking about the steel mill industry. You were born in an era where the steel mills were uh, up and hopping and going well. Your your father uh, and your mother came to know Christ yep. at an early age. Were probably highly influenced by the Jesus movement. Mm. and then caught the fire of the missionary movement, and you were whisked off at a very early age onto the mission field. Yep. You grew up uh, in Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, Spain is, is the West, but it's not America. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a place America. where... America, right. <laughs> uh, it's a place where, you know, you learned, you learned church planning as a kid. You lived it. You've mm-hmm. often shared the story of how you grew up uh, in a church that met, if I got the story right, in a stable, a yep. horse stable, right? And I've often thought about that as we've navigated the years together, how that that experience played a role. And it's, it's kind of maybe the, now that we look back at it, played a role on how you approach church planting, how you approached restarts. I have an idea of how it's affected you, in my own opinion, but I want to hear from you. How do you think that kind of set the framework up for how you've approached church planting, restarts, I kind of put them in a similar category here in Chicagoland. Yeah. You're right, John. My parents were uh, serial church planters overseas in a very difficult country and in a, a difficult region of the country, northern Spain. But, you know, as it relates to restarts, I grew up in a country full of buildings, sacred buildings, that were, for the most part, empty. Hmm. And it was a a, a contrast because we were considered a cult, and so no one would rent to us, and we literally rented a horse stable. And down the street, there were uh, mainly Catholic churches, mainly empty. Spain right now has a huge crisis, like a lot of Europe, Mm -hmm. uh, where they have... uh, church buildings that are serviced by maybe one priest that goes to seven or eight parishes to do Mass for eight or nine older people, and um, Spain has become very secular. But here's a country that has buildings that were constructed at the height of, you know, the, the Christian fervor, and now those buildings lie empty. And um, you're, uh, the UK is the same way. And we've actually influenced some people in in some of those restarts. And so um, I was very much shaped by the fact that the church is people, the church is people, and um, very shaped by this maverick pioneer mentality of my parents going and reach people and meet wherever, Mm -hmm. Um, but also uh, grew up in the shadow of cathedrals and buildings that it 
it made my heart sad to walk into them and see this beautiful architecture with no people in them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I brought it up because I think you know sometimes having a conversation like this, the emphasis can always just be on strategy. I think there's this grand theme or grand strategy, but what I wanted to get to was the essence, the ethos, so to speak, of of New Life's church planting yeah. uh, adventure, so to speak. And I think a part of it really, and I want to try to capture this really on the podcast, the heart of it is really, I think that, you know, you as our, our primary leader who led the, led the charge, I call you the grand pua of restarts, <laughs> and you've influenced a lot, of, a lot of people in that regard. But I think, you know, you entered the church planting world without all the trappings of uh, an Americanized ecclesiology. And I think that that's played a great influence as far as how we've approached it here in Chicagoland. Yeah. In my thinking, you know, that translates into what it's translated into and how it's affected us at a heart level here at New Life is it's an emphasis on winning the broken, a yeah. strong emphasis on evangelism, yeah. as opposed to just church planting for the sake of church planting. Yeah, you're right, John. Yeah. A focus on making disciples and viewing America as the mission field. And, you know, interesting, when we talk about restarts, I, I would... I was very uh, reticent and reluctant about this whole idea of restarts. Mm -hmm. Peter Wagner, way back in the day, who was a church uh, growth expert, I remember him saying, it's easier to birth a baby than to raise the dead. And he was talking about church planting, and he was saying, you know, plant Mm. churches, revitalization of churches is very difficult. And so... Um, we went down the road of church planting and started multiple locations, and a re- restarts came knocking at our door. Right. And really, we were super reluctant to answer that door because I felt like uh, there's going to be a lot of bureaucracy, mm. a lot of politics in this, yeah. a lot of division. This will be hard. This will be difficult. And so reluctantly, I really believe that God sort of opened up the door and kind of forced us into something that we really weren't too excited about. But once that door opened, we realized, hey, this is a beautiful, powerful, redemptive opportunity Mm -hmm. that lies in urban America, but not just urban America, all across the country. Right. And what's stunning is after being 15 years into the 44th of Kalina plant, uh, we did our first restart 20 years ago. So we're talking about a 35-year yep. collective history. It was uh, at that moment that um, that we realized, wait a minute, we've been doing restarts since 1986 mm-hmm. because really the 44th of Kalina, you know, was uh, church replant was actually a restart. Yeah. Um, and the reason I, I want to hit on this a little bit is just because I, again, want to get to the heart. I think what what brought it to the table and what we continue to see as part of the essence of the way we're doing restarts is that you came without the trappings of, of an Americanized kind of ecclesiology, but with that also came the ability or the, the, the ability to take a risk. I mean, yeah, you were young and, and naive like we all were back <laughs> 35 years ago, uh, but you, you jumped on board and took a risk of taking a small congregation under your wing with a, a, a sloppy building hmm. um, in a poor neighborhood. Yeah. 
thinking that you were going to be there for just a little bit, and here you are almost 40 years later. But that's kind of the essence of the heart of what New Life Restarts is about. It's taking risks. It's the emphasis on winning the broken. It's giving unlikely leaders a chance and yeah. a shot. That's that's really the heart and New Life, and it's giving away power yeah. uh, to others. You didn't build a, a church in the, in, on a personality. We are mm-hmm. able to go into these restarts with the idea of saying, we're going to give local indigenous leaders the power to take these churches and turn them around. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to just set the tone a little bit in that regard before we before we look at what we're going to into the future as far as how we're going to do restarts. Mm-hmm. And um, and John, I would piggyback on that and say, really, the impetus behind the restart was in 1995 a 40-day season of fasting and prayer mm. that our church engaged in. And I'm, I'm reminded of that because we're about to start 21 days of fasting and prayer this next mm. Sunday as we're recording this podcast. But that was our first lengthy time of prayer, 40 days. Mm. We to pray for revival in our country and a move of God in our city. And it was at the end of that 40 days of fasting and prayer that we emerged with a new vision to see lights all over the city of Chicago. So we we said, what would that look like? And we said, well, it would be multi-location. It would reach the poor and the rich, and it would be multi-ethnic, black, white, Hispanic, Asian. It would be fueled by prayer. It would be strong at making disciples. And, you know, as we started to plant, we started to realize, hey, there's churches all over, there's church buildings all over the city of Chicago, but many of them mm. are really struggling. Yeah. And, and we started to realize that many churches had shut down and were no longer houses of worship proclaiming the name of Jesus, or sometimes worse than that, they had not, sh- not shut down, they had been bought by some other religion and were proclaiming some other false gospel. And so... That is really what gave us the impetus to start looking around the city and say, God, what are you doing? How can we cooperate? And it really led... I would not have been open to that conversation with Chuck McWhorter, who was on this podcast, who called me up, but but the the background is we've been praying, God, lead us. We want to divinely follow where you lead us, and so we'll be open to phone calls and people, divine connections... And so since we had been praying, I couldn't ignore a phone call that said, come and help us. It's like, okay, God, are you in this? You know, it's not where I want to go. I'm not sure I'm super open to that. But we have been praying that you would open doors, bring people of peace. And so if you're in it, all right, God, here we are. And fast forward that to where we're at today. Uh, Two of our locations, two of our New Life uh, Restart locations, uh, Lakeview and Melrose Park, celebrated their 20-year anniversary just this year, 2021, actually, not 2022, but 2021, just celebrated their 20-year anniversary and had a great, a great celebration. Um, You know, when you think about that and and you you say, okay, we're looking at at 20 years, if you could stand on on the precipice of a mountain and look into the bat, into the history, you see 20 years. But from that vantage point, you're also able to look into the future. You're yeah. able to see the vista of the future of what restarts might look like. So as you look to the, to the past, that's one thing. But now we're looking to the future. And, and my question, I think our question is, what do you see as you stand at the, at the, the crest of that mountain and you look into the future? You know, we may not be here 20 years from now, Mark. 
Yeah. You know, we may be in glory, man, praising the Lord and mm-hmm. rooting on these young guys from, from the clouds, you know? What He's do you not see? in any way saying that you're over the hill, okay? <laughs> hey, I'm right in there with him, man. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you look into that 20 years, what do you see? Yeah, that's a good question, John. Well, I think that it's more difficult to predict the future when there's times of great disruption. Mm. So when when there's times of just normal transition, you can kind of predict because the past, uh, you could you could see the gradual changes into the future. But we're in a time of great disruption. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 2020, uh, 20, uh, 2021 and 2022, the pandemic, the economy, the uh, changes of belief system, the emergence of the uh, Gen Z, the shifting values in our country. So all you have to take all those things into perspective. I, I'm an optimist because I know who rules the future and I know who sits mm. on the throne. Mm. And so I always face the future with a sense of, God, you know what you're doing. You have a plan to redeem humanity, and I want to cooperate with that. So having said that, as I look into the future, here's what I believe. I believe, I think there's a couple major trends that we're going to see. I think one of them is you're going to have a lot of churches that are going to struggle to survive the transition and the changes of these last two years. Um, They were already struggling, many of them, before the pandemic hit, and um, what the pandemic has been is it has been an accelerator. Uh, some people think it's brought about change. I feel like it's been more an acceleration to change. Technology was already moving. COVID has accelerated it. Mm. Um, we we already had uh, some churches that were struggling. COVID has accelerated some of those struggles. Uh, we had leaders that were, you know, look, thinking about transition. COVID has accelerated uh, the transition. So it's been the great accelerant. Um so these things would have happened in five or ten years, but mm. but they've happened quicker. Mm. Mm. So I, I see a couple of things happening. I see that there will be churches probably that will be more organic and typically smaller. Mm. We've already seen that size-wise. That's not a bad thing as long as we can multiply them rapidly. Um, but it, it also gives way to... Um, a problem of sustainability of a pastor. A lot of churches in our country have a full-time pastor, sustainable pastor. I think you're going to have less churches able to sustain a full-time pastor. I think you're going to have a wave of bivocational ministers, which I'm super excited about. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to have a wave of people that have had a career already, that are working in one way or another, uh, that will be pastoring. Uh, because the congregations will be smaller. The average congregation size right now in America is about 67 people, Mm -hmm. 67 people. It's hard to sustain a full-time pastor with 67 people attending. Mm. And so, uh, but but I don't think that needs to be a problem. I think it's a great opportunity, because now we have tons of pastors that can be created and released and unleashed, and um, that are already, that have a call, maybe a sense that God has called me to ministry, but I feel like I have to go full-time, I have a career. And so I think you're going to see a wave, an emergence of a lot of bivocational people. And um, 
you're going to see probably smaller congregations. Yeah. Uh, you're going to see evangelism take on a bit of a different flow to it um, than it did in the past. And I also believe that over the next uh, few years, you're going to see a lot of churches with buildings that were struggling pre-pandemic that will not survive uh, these changes. Retirements of pastors, congregations that can't survive economically, they were already struggling to begin with, but the pandemic has really uh, thrust them into mm. a unsustainable mode. So there's a couple options. Those sacred spaces can be lost, sold, um, and some people will sell those buildings and invest the money into missions, which is great. But I'm concerned about those spaces that can't be recaptured. Mm. Uh, places like Chicago, it's very difficult to get zoning um, mm. for religious purposes. And I think that when, once we lose some of those spaces, we'll probably never regain them. Uh, there's been bu buildings that were torn down, turned into strips all across Chicago at an accelerated rate. Mm. I think uh, there's a beautiful, powerful, redemptive expression of the sovereignty of God as historic buildings are recaptured and congregations are retooled to reach a different neighborhood. Maybe when it started, it was a Swedish or German neighborhood of immigrants, and now it's Puerto Rican or young professionals, and maybe that church doesn't seem to make sense to that community. I, I, I think that we have to retool a lot of those congregations. I'm talking about the urban environment, but I also think that rural, suburban is the same context, that we have to retool <clears throat> those congregations to re reach those neighborhoods. I think it opens up huge doors of opportunity. Some people are going to view it as very discouraging. I view it as an opportunity to replant at an accelerated rate and recapture beautiful stories, histories of mission and sacrifice and people that believed God for that neighborhood when it was a German neighborhood, and now we're going to believe God for a Puerto Rican or Mexican neighborhood or gentrified neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I believe that God is doing some amazing things, yeah. and, and we want to jump right into it, ready to cooperate with what God is doing in this next new chapter. Hmm. That's excellent. All right. I don't want to keep talking. Do you guys have any other? Well, my, my question is uh, the the idea of um, of leadership, uh, because the the doors are going to continue to swing open. What do you recommend that for the leaders who are listening right now, and even the, and us? Uh, how do we go about, or, or, or what kind of technique, or I mean, especially to start studying in prayer? How do we go about start looking for leaders? Do we do we take risks with certain people? Do we I pray and say, Lord, send them to us. What do you What do you recommend, it's especially in light of the the great opportunity <coughs> that, that lies before us? Yeah, I do believe that one of the greatest challenges will be leaders that um, can engage in ministry in our current setting effectively. Mm -hmm. um, we'll have leaders of a different generation. They were trained to preach with the understanding that if you preach, people will come. Mm -hmm. That's not the world we live in. Um, maybe the South, that maybe there may be some counties in the Bible Belt, you preach, you build a building, people come. That's not Chicago, that's not New York, that's not most of America. So some people are ill-equipped, really, mm 
mm-hmm. I think, to engage in uh, ministry in our society today, uh, it's not the it's not the family with two point three children that come from a Protestant background looking for a church to go to, expected to be there on Sunday morning. That has disappeared for the most part. In urban settings, it's disappeared a while back. It still has some uh, some adherence in some of the suburbs, um, but but it's disappeared. And so my concern is getting leaders that are effective and trained mm-hmm. to be able to engage in in the culture that we're facing right now. So I think our training of leaders is going to be different. I think that um, it's going to be less training, and and I'm involved in the Bible College movement. So you know I. Uh, we're, you know, we're training 18, 20, 23-year-olds to, you know, biblically train. I think there's going to be still be that happening, but I think you're going to have a lot of people that are mid-career, that have been involved in a church, that have a calling of God, that are going to be re, um, recalculating their life to throw themselves more into ministry, like, for example, Juan Sanchez. Juan Sanchez is one of our pastors. Mm-hmm. He's uh, pastoring actually two locations right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll never forget when Juan, who's an educator, a Chicago public school teacher, and his wife as well, approached me and said, I feel like God may be calling me to ministry. He's in his 30s, got th- you know four kids, and he says, so what do I need to quit my job and go to Bible college? I said, Juan, you have a mortgage, bro, and you have kids. Um, I don't think you should do that. But if you have a heart for ministry, I think the local church can help prepare you and train you to that. And so that's what we did. Our in-house route of training and preparing, um, strong mentoring, practical mentoring, uh, coaching, and we launched him out with... uh, Of course, he had already been doing ministry here. He was leading the couples groups, launched him out... Uh, to do a location, and then that kind of merged into leading a location in Cicero, leading a location in Berwyn, and now he pastors two congregation, and he's raising leaders and launched out uh, a pastoral leader out to Brighton Park as well. I think you're going to see more leaders like that, hands-on, strong local church coaching, supplemented by some of the theological training of places like Moody Bible Institute or other seminaries, but I think it'll be supplemental education as people are already engaged in ministry. So I'm, I think I'm hearing you say that guys like us who are full-time and um, more mature, I want to say it's old, but we're more mature, <laughs> experienced, we're going to be I like the seasoned, word seasoned. seasoned. Yes, yeah. we're seasoned. We're, we're now being, I, I see myself now in the season of mentoring, coaching, influencing one-on-one, inspiring, casting vision into these younger guys and say, listen, here's an opportunity. This is how we can lead you because here's the call. Yeah, exactly. You're following a New Testament model. You're following really the model of Jesus. Leadership is going to be a a major issue um, because, again, let me say that there are people graduating from seminary right now that look at a traditional way. I've been taught the Greek and the Hebrew, and so I feel like if I know how to preach, that I'm just going to preach and people are going to come. I think we need to know the Word. I'm a big believer in knowing the Word, breaking down the Word, being uh, trained in 
being solid preaching. That is not, we, we have to preach the word, but we can be preaching to empty buildings mm-hmm. unless we have an evangelistic mindset of reaching out to our communities. Mm. And I think that uh, we, we have a whole uh, group of leaders that need to be trained to, to understand the fact that we do not have a culture that has the expectation of going to church anymore. Mm-hmm. So there has to, so it's what Paul told Timothy, do the work of an, of an evangelist. And so I think the churches that exist, that thrive, that multiply in the future, um, will be churches that have a very, very integrated evangelistic approach into their culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I, don't, I think if, if not, they're going to end up being restarts. So yeah. in a restart situation, how do you navigate that? Because typically in a restart situation, you'll have an older generation at the helm, Okay. But millennials have made it real clear that they value you know, they value relationships, community, they value uh, missional service, uh, and yet at the helm you have a, a generation that's valuing uh, how many people are in the building, preaching the word every Sunday, which we still want to do that, but you have an older generation and a younger generation, and you're trying to blend the two. If you're not careful, you can just recreate something that, that got you in trouble in the first place. Yeah. What would you suggest there? Yeah, so Restart is more challenging than a church plant, I believe. Uh, Some people think it's easier because you have a building and a core. Um, I think there's a beauty to it and a redemption to it. And if it works well, it creates a multi-generational church, which if you look at most church plants, um, you, you get a church plant and you plant it in a hipster neighborhood in Chicago, you're going to see all 20-something-year-olds, um, and, and it's young, and, but, but you see no seniors there. You mm-hmm. see no... And, you know, people like it because they like it when they're young, and it's all their age group, but it looks like a young adult group, and I think there's something that you miss there Agreed. when it's not a multi-generational. Yeah. And sometimes you go to another church, and it's just all senior citizens, and it feels like our church is very segmented. I think if a restart is done right, you have an older contingency that typically is there, they are the church that's been around forever that's dying. Mm-hmm. Right. You have a community you know, that, that lives around the church that you're trying to reach. And then, in our model, you have a core from, say, the mother church or the gathering core that wants to plant that's coming in. So you're really dealing with three peop- uh, three groups of people, an older traditional, a community that's unchurched, and then a group of people that wants to do church planting. So a restart leader has to navigate bringing those three groups together and saying, how do we come together and bring the older group and the new core to focus on reaching this community. Our common purpose is to glorify God by reaching those who don't know Jesus yet. Mm. And um, I remember sitting down with Chuck McWhorter, and I said, Chuck, I don't know if I want to do this, because I'm excited about reaching the neighborhood, but I look at the 30, 75 to 80-year-olds in the church, and they're so different than the neighborhood, the, the, the age-wise, culture-wise, and I feel like if we go in and change your service, I, I view it, and I've used this illustration a lot, I feel like 
It's like my grandmother sitting in church. She was a beautiful woman that went to Little Baptist Church, very conservative. And I, I like I don't want to offend my grandmother, but I also need to reach the community. Yeah. And Chuck told me this. Chuck said to me, "Let me worry about the older people." And so I had to have these conversations mm. with some of those the the beautiful older saints, and say to them, um, "Let's approach this as we're reaching your grandkids." Most of them have a big burden for their grandkids. They don't understand their music, their style, their their tats, and mm-hmm. and and yeah. all that. But but <clears throat> but they have a heart for them. And I said, if you were reaching your grandkids, wouldn't you want a church that could reach? So you're not going to like the music. You're not going to always un- you're not going to always like the culture. But if we can, we've supported missionaries for years. Let's be missionaries to our community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, most people that love Jesus um, get it. Chuck would tell me. He said, man, I love the church now. We're baptizing people. The nursery's full. I love to see young people. He said, I don't like the music. He said, I listen to my hymns on the way to church. I crank it up. (laughs) He says, in church, I I don't like the music. But he says, I can tolerate it to see what God is doing here. And and, and Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful mix of some older saints with some younger believers together forming a community to reach out to a neighborhood that does not know Jesus. Now, it's complex. You're going to have young people saying, hey, these old people... You're going to have older people saying, hey, these young people, you know, they wear hats in the sanctuary and yeah. that, and, you know, they have a tattoo. What's and wrong with we, hats? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's generational differences that you're dealing with, but if you can navigate it well, I think it produces a beautiful multi-generational community of faith that has the power to have longevity in reaching that community. Yeah. So, yeah. The, so the, the, the pastor, the leader, needs to be a strategist, uh, almost at different levels. Yeah. Well, I would say this. The pastor has to approach it strategically. Yes. Most pastors are people people. But if you can get coached, yeah. because there, there is a finesse to it, I think there's a coaching involved in it. Um, and I think good coaching can save you probably a lot of disasters, um, because most people, when they approach it, do not approach this. They have good hearts, but but don't approach it the right way. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can alienate all the existing congregation, or if you go in and say, well, I don't want to alienate anything, you just keep everything the same. Well, right. the same is what caused this church to die. They yeah. have to change if mm. they're going to survive. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants a different result, but no one wants change. change. Right. That's that's my next question. So, you know, thinking about, you know, the last 20 years, and you've, you've, you've talked about even some of the preconceived notions of those that are in seminary. If I just preach good, then the church will grow. And we've, you know, over the years, you've learned that that's not the case. <clears throat> so those were the complexities to restarts to begin with. Being in this COVID era, right, and hopefully we'll get to a post-COVID era. Um, how have those? How do you see those complexities increasing? Um, not just dealing with the battles of certain types of music or worship, but now you got all of these other social things that are being uh, thrown into the mix. How, how does that affect um, restarts in the future? Yeah, that's a good question, Eric. It has been said that this is one of the most complicated times to lead. Leadership has always been challenging, but today's leaders are facing complexities that leaders maybe 30 years or 20 years or 10 years ago weren't facing. 
not only do you have the generational divide, but you have a very uh, politically divided country mm-hmm. over issues of race and politics and how to approach things. And so, um, especially in multicultural settings, you, you have that added challenge. Um, and so I think, you know, there's always going to be divisions. There's always going to be. And I think, you know, we're, we're not sure what the next wave is going to be in three to five years from now. Um, but I think the principles apply almost to every generation. And so I think uh, grace, humility, gospel-centeredness, mm-hmm. um, a respect of history. Mm. Um, I have to admit that I did not come in uh, with a high respect for history when, when we started at 44th and Polina. Uh, our, our original location. I was 21 years old, and and my mentality was, you know, all this tradition, all these, you know, they just need to, you know, get with it and go with the latest uh, deal. 21 year old, and I would kind of go all the way back to Jesus. You know, I'm I'm gonna skip 2,000 years of history and just go back <laughs> to Jesus, um, which was very, uh, you know, yeah. Very, very naive, proud. Very and, less seasoned. Uh, yeah, very less seasoned. <laughs> you know, over time, I've come to appreciate history more yep. and value history more. Yeah. And I think it was actually, I have to give credit to uh, Dr. Ray Bakke, who's uh, approaching 90 and um, a historian. Uh, John and I and Paco, we did our, uh, we studied our doctoral thesis through that. And, and he had a very high, high appreciation of history and, and said, you know, you need, to, you need to value history. You need to trace history. God has been working throughout history. To ignore history is to ignore the work of God. When you go into a community, you should not be saying, hey, here we are to change things. You should be saying, what has God done before we got, way before we were there? What has God been doing? How has God been working? How do we honor that? How do we... Uh, tap mm. into that. How do we uh, transition the next chapter? Spiritual colonialists, what they do is they act like nothing was there before their flag was planted. Mm. Uh, I grew up in the country of Spain. Columbus was launched to the Americas from Spain. He showed up on the shores of America, planted a Spanish flag, and said, Here is Spain. We discovered it. Hold on, dude. There's a whole tribal group that's living here for hundreds or thousands of years. You, you, you're just ignoring a whole population that was there. But because they weren't his tribe, he acted like they didn't exist. Mm. I see a lot of church planters do that. Um, and I see people with restarts despising, mm. re, despising historic churches like you failed, and now here we are with our new music and our brand, and we're going to teach you how to do church. That is such a antithesis to the spirit of Jesus and the heart of God. I think we need to go in there honoring the saints that have labored and planted. A hundred years ago was a group of uh, probably younger leaders that started that, and we need to to go there with a sense of thank you for the work that you've done. Thank you for the, the perseverance that you've had. Thank you for being a part of this God story. And so we, we humbly come into this. Yeah wanting to help you write the next chapter of this God story, mm, right, right, not right. with a, a proud, presumptuous, 
colonial spiritual elitism, but with a humble heart that says, man, we're, we're just one more chapter in the God story. Yeah. I, um, I, I pastor at New Life Homer Glen, and uh, it's, an, it's an old church. It's been around since 1833. Yes. Mm. And wow. so I, I purposely walked through the nursery doors on Sunday mornings uh, um, to, to go through the, the two buildings. They, there's an older building and a newer building, and there's a hallway that leads them together. But the capstone of the original building is right there, and it says 1833 to 1952. Yeah. And I often think about that before you know I step into the pulpit there, um, just remembering that um, I'm, I'm working on the shoulders of many people who have loved and labored and loved Jesus and given their life for the gospel. And, and, it, and what I'm doing is a continuation of it. And there is, there's this, yeah. there's this uh, respect and honor for those that came before us, you know, not to call mm-hmm. whatever that brand of church was as a failure, but yeah. for us to be able to partner and, and see that God wants this still here. Yeah. He's yeah. doing the work. It's right? a culture of honor, Eric, is what yeah. I call yeah. it. A culture of honor. And, and you could go in there, and, and you know, I think one of the ways we honor these places is um, it's much like a family. Uh, you can have a, a teenager that looks at their, you know, older, you know, 85, 90-year-old uh, great-grandparent and sort of they don't get it, they don't understand, their music's crazy. But I've also seen the opposite. I've seen young teenagers sit beside a couch of a 80, 90 year and tell me your stories. Let mm-hmm. me understand. And mm-hmm. And there's an honor in getting to know, and there's an honor in saying, boy, I respect what you've done, I respect who you are. And I think with the restart, it's the same way. I think one of the things that our philosophy is, I think we need to know the story of what we're uh, restarting. Amen. And we need to celebrate the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because, um, you know, 50 years from now, if God tarries, uh, there'll be people looking back at what we think is the most cutting-edge music and the greatest methodology and thinking, wow, is that antiquated? Think about they did something that they called Hillsong? Man, that's <laughs> Wow, is it, that's like way old music. Mm-hmm. And they'll have whatever new stuff they have. Uh, so, but, but, but when you have a context of history, you, you v- validate, you value the history, you honor and you say, thank God that we can take the baton and, and go... I think it's a Jesus value, by the yeah. way. The, the elders, the older, the history of what God has do, uh, done. And I think that when we cut ourselves off from the past history, ignore it, and come with presumption, we lose something invaluable to the worship, and we typically lose the older people that feel ignored. I think mm-hmm. you need to get to know them and, and, and love them and validate them and include mm-hmm. them in what you mm-hmm. do and celebrate them and um, you know make them some of the ushers and greeters. Uh, sit down and hear their wisdom. Bring people in the elder team as much as you can because there's a lot of wisdom in, in, in some of the mm-hmm. older saints that have been there for a while. Yeah. And it's really not that difficult to do. No, you know I've had uh, the chance to do a few restarts, and every one of them was multi generational. Yeah, but from the pulpit, I was very intentional uh, to affirm the older generation, and often refer to the work not from when it was a new life beginning, yeah, 
but before New Life ever showed up on the scene, God yeah. was already working, right? Yeah. That's one of our themes. We've talked about that in a, in a previous uh, podcast. Well, Pastor Mark, let me ask you a, a couple questions from the perspective of folks that are considering doing a restart with New Life. I think that I've heard you answer a few of these questions in the past, and I think it's valuable to those uh, that are listening to, to hear it again from, again, the Grand Poobah of, of restarts. So here's, here's a person sitting in the pew, we're having a restart discussion, and they're asking, why do we need to change our name? Yeah. There's so many new lives out there, why do we have to change <clears throat> our name? Yeah. So let me answer a question, first of all, that you haven't asked. If you're listening to this podcast and you think, um, yeah, I'm a church, I want to do a restart, sounds like a great way to grab land or real estate. Don't do it then. Restart is not a land grab. Mm -hmm. Amen. Um, and people that approach it that way um, end up hurting a lot of people. Mm -hmm. They end up, um, I think, doing damage to the kingdom. I've, I've seen people mm -hmm. say, hey, yeah, you do restarts. Uh, tell me how you get buildings. It's like, <laughs> no, 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 that's not what we're doing. We are expanding ministry and honoring, and, and, and sometimes actually buildings are a blessing, but they can also be yeah. a real big headache. Oh, talk to us about um, that, Danny. <laughs> Everybody that doesn't have a building says if we just have a building, once they had a building, they say, remember the days we didn't have to fix leaky roofs? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so if, if, a, if a church, uh, an existing historic church comes to us and wants to do a restart with us... The way that we view it is we are one church, and we currently meet in 27 different locations. Um, and when we do a restart, if we're involved in it, we invest money, people, coaching. It's a lot of work. And um, we don't close that church down, actually. I mean, some people go about it, and they actually close it down, uh, and, and then they do a transfer pro, uh, uh, property and proceeds. We don't do that because our spirit is that we want to embrace that church that's been around for 130 years and bring them into a new chapter. Now, what I've noticed is that many of these churches that have been around for 100 years, 130 years, uh, many of them have actually had name changes along the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's very few that haven't that, that have been the same name since they started, and so it's not new. They've usually had a name change somewhere down the process, and uh, what I like to say is that, you know, we're part of one church, multiple locations, and so a, a common identity helps us. A reintroduction into the community helps us. Some people have passed whatever the name uh, historically was the church. They've been in there. Some of them have been turned off by it. Some of them went in there. There was no children's ministry. There was nothing. They view it as a dying church. It gives us an opportunity to reintroduce ourselves to the community, but having the same... While, while we inherit the history... So if you look legally at a, at a New Life Restart, uh, the legal paperwork will show that this is this church has been around for 130 years because we don't close it, we take on the history. Amen. But we also believe that there's a it it's a new chapter, it's a new day. The new core coming in and the old core that's there and the community all have to come under sort of a new banner, and so uh, it is a new chapter, and we mark that chapter with a new name that we all embrace together. 
with the new introduction to the community, but we still maintain the history of that church very, very dear to us. But why do we need to change the music? We love (laughs) our music. Well, let, let me say this. When we say change the music, I would say we don't go into a restart saying everybody has to have this music. In fact, we have a variety of music around all of our New Life locations. If you go to our uh, Mexican immigrant community, Little Village, their music is, is, is very Latino, very... And, you know, you go to some of our other locations up on the north side, a lot of young professionals, it's a little bit more meditative, sway back and forth. It's, you know, and you go to some places like Eric, where Eric's at, and it's <laughs> rock and roll. No. Uh, um, and Danny, Danny misses a little bit of salsa, a little bit of uh, contemporary. And so I guess we, what I would say is we don't have a music style. However, we ask ourselves this question, who are we trying to reach? If our community is mainly 75-year-olds, if the entire community is mainly made up of 75, then I would use traditional music. In fact, if we start a, if we started a new church plant in a senior citizens community, I would use hymns, mm-hmm. and I would I would make that the top celebration of hymns. Um, but if I'm reaching a community that is primarily Puerto Rican and the average age is 30, then I would ask myself this question, what is the music that they listen to? Someone recently said, I heard someone say recently, I've heard this for years, tell me the type of music you uh, worship to on Sunday mornings, and I'll tell you the type of people that are in your congregation and who you're reaching. Music is a language. People walk in, they hear a certain language, and they say, I don't understand that language. That language I can't relate to. So they walk out. And so I think we need to ask ourselves, who who are we trying to reach? And what music do they listen to? And what is the worship expression of that music? And so we're not trying to change people's music. We're trying to reach people in a language of music and worship that they understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Would you say also, like, you know, I've, I've heard this example before. You walk into a restaurant or a place that, um, and there's, you know, the word today is vibe, right? You, you get this vibe that you like, and you, you like this restaurant, and you'll tell your friends, yeah, I really like it, but, well, what did you like about it? Well, you know, obviously the food has to be part of that, but... <laughs> um, but you also like the ambiance. You like mm-hmm. the way that the way they decorated the place. You mm-hmm. like the culture of that restaurant or that place. And the same thing, I think, when somebody walks into a church, when you're thinking about who you're reaching, you want that um, you want that to represent the people that you're trying to reach. Yeah. Because you want them to walk in and say, "Man, I I like this place. I felt warm here. I felt I felt welcome. at home. Yeah, mm-hmm. I felt at home. Yeah. I felt, man, you know, I, I felt like I could connect. You know, um, one of the questions that we ask at, at New Life Homer Glenn for someone that's visiting was, um, was the worship distracting, or did you feel comfortable to worship God? Oh, that's a good question. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. And that's just, you know, a simple way for us to know, hey, this person wasn't into the vibe that we're given, you know, is, is that something we need to think through? Because um, you're right, it's not about genre, uh, genre necessarily, it's about effectiveness. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're, we don't promote a certain genre of music. I, I think that there's beautiful music, and I listen to all kinds of music, um, but, but I think that uh, there's no music that is, if you, if you were raised on certain music at a certain time in history, you kind of get locked into that music. 
And so people that are in their 80s get locked into the music that they really loved in their 30s, but they get locked into that music. That's what made sense to them. And so they tend to embrace, and when they hear new music, they tend to despise it. It's not as deep. Mm-hmm. It's not as rich. It's not as... 7-Eleven songs. Yeah, 7-Eleven yeah. seven seven words. words. Yeah. You, you repeat 11, 11 times. times. Right. Um, but people, but people that are younger sometimes listen to maybe organ music, and they just can't relate to it. They, it, it's not the music that they can connect to. And so, if you know, we started um, Humble Humble Park, which was a German Lutheran German, and you look at the pictures, and they all have mustaches that are uh, twirled up uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, handlebar mustaches, and they were German. Well, you know, th- they had a big organ there, and. Probably to them in that day, that was sort of pretty contemporary music. But now that neighborhood is primarily, it's a lot of Puerto Rican, mm-hmm. it's a lot of uh, Hispanic. And, and so if if they walked into a church service where hymns are being sung in German, they may like the pastor, but they would say, this is for German people. Yeah. Mm. Because music tells them whether they belong or don't belong. If you're a white Anglo person that doesn't speak Spanish and you walk into a service and the music is Latin and mainly in Spanish, you may like the friendliness of the people, but you would say this is for Spanish people. I don't understand this. I don't understand this exactly. And I think our music is that way. So Mm. I want to be clear about this. We don't have a style of music that we're saying this is the best style or everybody has to... We're looking at our community and asking us, who are we reaching and what is the style of music that best connects to our yeah. community? I, I deal with worship ministry a lot, you know, especially at New Life and in our, in our worship leader residency that we talk about this. And, and one of the things that we say is, you know, we're not trying to institute a genre of music that is the New Life music, but we are trying to instill a value of worship. Yeah. And so no matter which location you go to or if a restart happens, you know, at your location, why do we need to change the mu- music? Um, well, that of our value is going to make that decision. What do we value? Do we value uh, tradition or do we value um, worshiping Jesus? Because if we are trying to reach our grandkids, right, um, then and if that's our value is to reach them, then we'll do whatever we need to do uh, to reach that generation. Yeah. I would say the same thing, by the way, applies to leadership. I, I have the same philosophy towards leadership. If this is mainly a... Chinese Mandarin speaking community. You know, I love Danny Danny Lopez, but he's a Puerto Rican uh, Fiery. Yes, fired he up is. Puerto Ooh. Rican. And and <laughs> I would not choose Danny Lopez to reach a primarily Chinese Mandarin speaking community. Not because he may not love those people, not because he doesn't have a heart of a, heart of a shepherd, but because there's cultural barriers. I would rather take someone that understands the Mandarin setting, probably is Asian, and say um, there's less cultural barriers. So I think there's a compatibility issue that we have to look at. Listen, um, you know, and, and I think the pastor needs to set aside their own preferences and leadership and say, not what do I like, but what is most effective mm-hmm. at reaching the people yes. that are around me. Yeah. So if you go south, I mean, I'm, you know... Uh, 
Danny may not be into country music, but if he were to plant a church somewhere down south that was much more rural, which I wouldn't recommend, I, I could see that. Then <laughs> I would say, Danny, then you need to set aside it's your preferences of music, and you need yeah. to embrace whatever music is 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 good for that. That's right. But 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 I think it's wise to try to match the leadership to the to to the community that we're around, not just the music. Um, but the leader as well, if the average age in the community is 25, I probably wouldn't get a 70-year-old to go in there and try to pastor. I'd probably get, try to get someone that's younger that would match that community. And that's a good segue into the next question. Where do you get your pastors from, Pastor Mark? Yeah. Who's going to pastor our church? Who's going to be our pastor? Yeah, so that, that's the you know million-dollar million question. What's the leadership pipeline? L- let me tell you, my thought of this, and again, I come from the perspective of 35 years of raising leaders, training leaders, and launching leaders, and now I come from the perspective of leading a seminary and a Bible institute that also is in the the business of training and launching leaders as well. I would say, um, ideally, that our leadership ideally, would come from people within that are trained in the values and the vision and that have uh, wet, uh, th- th- they have gone down the road of, of uh, testing their teeth in the ministry that's already there, wet their appetite in yeah. the vision that's there, yeah. and then we can supplement their training with seminaries and and uh, Bible college training, but but I think that the best leaders come from within. Now, sometimes the demand is too fa- too broad, too big, and we have brought in leaders from the outside as well. But let mm-hmm. me tell you, uh, there's cautionary tales about bringing leaders in from the outside. If I'm going to bring a leader in from the outside, I prefer those leaders to be younger, that have less track record. Because usually if someone has 10, 15 years, uh, 20 years of experience, they're pretty much set in the way they do things. Hmm. So if you try to bring in a set leader into a new culture, there typically is resistance. Mm -hmm. Unless the culture that they come from uh, matches the culture that they're in. And that's very hard. It's very hard Hmm. to match identical... Um, it's and, like organs, right? They have to get, they have to find the match, yeah. so that the body wouldn't reject it. Right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's very difficult to get the perfect match. And so, I would say that the best leaders come from within. If you're going to recruit leaders from the outside, the interview ne- process needs to be pretty heavy. It needs to, you need to, you really need to interview for value compatibility. And I would typically get younger. Uh, so that you can train them in the culture that you want, as opposed to someone that's already set in their ways and harder to train. Now, so <laughs> I'm thinking about this because I was one of the first to come in to come on staff you were. from the outside. Yeah. And what was that like for you? You took a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's only taken about 15 years. 15 years. <laughs> but you're <laughs> finally there, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> You must have taken a big risk. Uh, you know, it was, but here's the thing. Um, we, we had uh, some relationship with you before. Right. You had spoken at some of our events. And if you remember, 
when you went, when we launched you out to, to Taylor. Yeah. Who did you go with? With you. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and for what, a year, a year or so? So for a year, because you were from the outside, I knew you had calling, gifting. I liked mm-hmm. uh, your your passion, and I felt like you would you would fit very well with us. But but I went a year with you. We al- we alternated. We alternated. You preach one Sunday, I preach. But it yeah. was more it was more than just preaching because I you could preach fine every Sunday. Mm-hmm. But what I felt like you needed to make sure is that you had the DNA. Mm-hmm of how we do ministry mm-hmm. um, in you. Not that the way you did ministry was bad, but I want. But if you're going to be part of the team, you, you need to have the DNA of how yeah. we do ministry. Yeah. And so I felt it was important to pair you up yeah. it was uh, coaching. for a season. It was coaching, yeah. exactly. Coaching and it was coaching. And, and Danny, you've done a great job. Yeah. You had a spirit of compatibility. You were very humble and teachable at that season. And... Um, and I think I think it was great, but but you have to do that coaching to make mm-hmm. sure there's compatibility. And one of the biggest lessons I remember was the whole idea of language. You talked a lot with me about language, how I spoke about the culture, um, things that I said in regards to uh, our church, his church. Yeah, there was a lot of language. Yeah. that were uh, that I had to learn how to, and not that um, I was saying bad things, but. But the language had to do a lot with the culture of who we are, yeah. what we're looking into. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you came, you came from a certain culture that was, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was uh, you were in a neighborhood that was less like the church that you came from, yeah. uh, which was much more churched, mm-hmm. much more sort of revved up Pentecostal, mm-hmm. and so a lot of churchy language in there. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we had to have the conversation about. Um, hey, if you're going to reach on church people, they don't un- always understand yeah. churchy language and culture. So remember yeah. that they don't always understand that, and mm-hmm. you have to break it down. So you're not reaching church people, you're reaching non-church people. Mm-hmm. And I think, Danny, man, I look at East Humble Park right now, and I said, that's a beautiful yeah. mix of unchurched, young uh, uh, you know, artistic. Mm-hmm. You're in your spot, bro, yeah. and and it came to fruition. And I see, I mean, man, I, I see these the music. It's a beautiful blend of part of your background, but you've blended it into, I think, mm-hmm. a great uh, mm. a great mix of reaching that community. Yeah, that is, your, you are the community. You and you represent that community. What's What's interesting now, in, in light of this conversation, is that I'm in the season in my in my life in ministry where it's transitioning where I'm looking at who's there and who's coming up. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost like mm. I'm going to be taking your place for yeah. me, you know, 15 years ago yes. where I'm raising up new, fresh leaders yeah. Yeah. Uh, looking into the future. Like, what is it going to be like? What's, what's East Humble Park going to be look, looking yeah. like yeah. in five to 10 years? So who do, we, who do we need to pass baton to? Who do we need to start raising? Yeah. You know, so this is interesting. One of the things I'm, I'm hearing, and Pastor Mark, maybe you can just... Um, you know, let me know if, if I'm hitting the target here. But so what you're saying is we really do believe in the affirmation of the church and the church leadership to see um, giftedness and calling in people that are um, in our congregations already. Um, you know, I'm thinking about the person who's watching this podcast who is maybe a uh, a church that that is going to be um, adventuring into a restart of their own or for the church that's looking to get restarted asking the question, where's our pastor going to come from, yeah. you know? And so we really do believe uh, and affirm, you know, uh, 
church affirmation to leadership, seeing something in in someone and then walking alongside them to raise them up. Not It doesn't always work that way, especially for a church that is looking to possibly be restarted. Where does our pastor come from? There isn't like this ready pool of people that we're just going to say, let's see which one of these is a good match, you know? Um, yeah. So what would you say to that, maybe that church that's saying, where's our pastor going to come from? Um, if well, we were to do a restart. Yeah, well, let me say this. For the church that may need to be restarted and is interested in this, one of the first questions I get when they engage new life in considering a restart, who's our pastor going to be? And to be honest with you, I don't even know, because first of all, we have to determine, are we a good fit for this? Is this a mm-hmm. good... Um, we we want to walk away feeling like it's been a win for them and us. We never want it to feel like a takeover. We never want it to feel like something hostile. We never want it to, we, we want to be as open-handed and honest as possible. So we want them to explore, to look at it, to know what they're getting into. And honestly, we want to know what we're getting into as well. Yeah. Um, because sure. so, but but for example, um, when we restarted Melrose Park, uh, New Life Melrose Park. Um, this was an Italian community in an Italian congregation. A lot of people were Italian background, but a community that had turned very Hispanic. And I think the pastor was saying, I, I don't know if we know how to reach this. And so you had older Italians and a, a younger Hispanic neighborhood. We went through this whole restart process. And I remember them asking, well, who's going to be our pastor? And I said, I don't know yet who your pastor would be but we're going to try to get someone that would be a good compatibility with your neighborhood and who you are. And so I was praying about it, and I actually called up John Palmieri. 20 years ago. That, 20 years ago. <laughs> now, John was involved in the church. He had been an elder. He was actually doing, uh, he was in a process where he had uh, engaged in the business world, but he was unhappy, really. He knew that he had a call. And so, and I thought, John is a great match for this church. Hmm. He's Italian background. Palmeri. Palmeri, but he's ministered. But he's ministered in a Hispanic (laughs) community. So he's got sort of this Italian uh, culturally, he's got an understanding of the Italian culture, but he's ministered among a lot of Hispanics. And I thought John would be great. So we didn't know when we engaged in this restart who the pastor would be. And I called John up. I said, hey, John. I think you would be great at this. Let's talk about it. And, you know, God opened up the door. John did an awesome job there, restarted that, uh, started an English, got an English service, Spanish service. That's multiplied several times, and John's gone out to do several restarts. But that's just an example of saying, I think, first of all, you have to ask yourself, does God want you to do this restart? Mm -hmm. Is this a good thing? And then once you're down that road, then you need to say, who would be a good leader? If you're a church looking at doing restarts, uh, I'm going to talk to the senior pastors now, you have to be willing to coach these pastors. Mm -hmm. Um, Because a restart, you you need to realize you're going to be coaching pastors to be effective at what they do. And um, so you need to carefully look at who is in the community, who is in the church, and what kind of leadership do they need. I think that's important. Yeah. So we finally have 
decided to do a restart. We've jumped in, grand opening day hits. It's a blast. 400 people show up. Next Sunday, 150 reality hits. (laughs) But that's a lot more than the original 30 that we had in the start, right? Exactly. So, so how do we know? You know, what are the uh, what are the key metrics in determining whether or not a a restart is a success? What do we look at? What metrics do we look at? Yeah. Well, I think like with every church, you need to ask yourself this question. Are we effectively making disciples? Are we reaching people in the community? Do we have a life-giving culture at our church where people genuinely love each other, love Jesus, and are reaching out to the community? Numbers are going to vary. Now, I I have in my mind what I'd like to see and um, in a restart. Hopefully, and this has been our experience, that the restarts that we've done, they have doubled, tripled, quadrupled of their original size. And um, I think to start with, um, in the first uh, 12 months, you know that a restart has done well when there's a healthy merging of an existing group with the new group, mm-hmm. and they're not saying you and us, mm-hmm. they're saying we. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's transition from you guys to us now. Mm-hmm. Right. It takes a while, because yeah, there's going to be a season where, you know, you guys, well, new life, well, us, we, um, and, and I think that when, when, when you start saying, hearing people, new people saying us, Mm. And, and the existing congregation saying us, not, well, you guys, um, I think you're on to something there. Um, when there's a culture in the, commu- in the church that's actually gaining momentum with the outside community and people are coming, and they don't sense that there's two churches, they sense that this is one church that I'm coming into, that I'm engaged in, new disciples are being made, I think that, hey, you are on the way to a great, healthy restart. Yeah. Now, now I would, I would say this. We've discovered that building relationship between the two cores, the, the existing core and the new group that's coming in, um, relational eating meals together, talking together, envisioning together before you do the grand opening and invite the community in there is important. Because mm-hmm. you don't want them to be trying to figure out the us while we're inviting mm-hmm. a third party in there. You want them to start feeling like us before we invite the third party in there. So mm-hmm. that would be meals together. That would be having worship services together. I encourage us to have several months of worship services together before we have the grand opening mm-hmm. and invite the community into, because by that time, we sort of established a, a, a relationship trust. We know each other's names. It's us. Now we're reaching them, the, the people in the community. Yeah, yeah that's good. I um I look at you know of course we look at the baptism numbers to help us to determine whether or not we're effectively discipling people that's yeah. part of it. I think another thing is just the engagement too of of the church in in volunteer ministry. Yeah. Is it just a few people that are doing most of the work or do we have a a, a real good measure of people mm-hmm. that are actually all engaged in in the process. And then I would add one more, you know, as time goes by you kind of start thinking through. I would add one more that by the time the church is into its fifth 
to eighth year, it should actually be doing another church plant. Yeah. I would say in order to be one of the metrics should be is it a is the restart a church planting or restart kind of church. Yeah. yeah. So that needs to be, you know, at the entry level, that needs to be kind of a vision that's talked about on a regular basis so that these restarts are actually going out and restarting. And that's what keeps them alive. If you think about, you know, little little Melrose, you know, little Melrose has spun off, you know, three or four different churches. Yeah. They've been involved in the in the process of three or four other restarts and one actual classic church plant in Villa Park. Yeah. <laughs> but it's this little church that doesn't even have a parking lot. Yeah. But and and all the older people that were there when twenty years ago I came in as the pastor, they're gone. We just did the twenty year anniversary. I was the guest keynote speaker. Every one of them except for one lady, is have passed away. Yeah, you've done a lot of funerals. I've done a ton of funerals, and and they were at that they were at that critical point twenty years ago. And I think they knew it. I think they intuitively knew it that that vote. Uh, to go with uh, new life and to do a restart was a key moment in their history. Yeah. And you know some of the some of the most precious and tender moments in that church is when I stood in the breezeway and the church was packed and it was full of young people. We had a big youth group and and several of the elders started crying. Mm-hmm. You'd see tears coming down their eyes. Real sweet, tender moment because they saw God activity in the church that they were scared was going to have to close its doors. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I've yeah, seen that a couple beautiful. of times. I remember when we restarted a church on the north side in Jefferson Park, there was an older gentleman. He's passed away now, but his name was Bud. Yeah. He had been a part of the church for years, I think 40 years. When we had the grand opening and he saw that church packed out, he wept, and he told uh, the, the pastor, he said, I can die in peace now. Mm. He said, because my prayers have been answered. You know, his greatest fear was this church he had invested in, poured into love, people was just dwindling and dying, and that the doors would close. And um, when he saw the life that came about, and the people back, and, and the, dy- the dynamic worship again, and young people... I mean, he breathed a sigh of relief and felt like, okay, now, now I can go see the Lord. Yeah. And um, I mean, it's a scary moment for for older the older generation yeah. that has gotten to that place. It's it's a real it's a real test of faith. It's a real step of faith. For it's a very emotional, scary moment uh, for them to take. And I'm so thankful that we have uh, a real respect and honor for the history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, of these churches and just an affirmation of the older generation. Uh, it means a lot to them, and there's big, big buy-in when we just very, very sincerely honor them for the work, sacrifice, and prayers over decades. Yeah, yeah. and and I think that's a value. That's not a strategy. Absolutely, brother. That's a philosophy yeah. of ministry and a value that we embrace. Mm-hmm, and I right. think the team needs to know that mm-hmm. because if not, they'll make a lot of mistakes. And now, now having said that. There's probably some people that there's going to be some people that'll leave. Absolutely, and it has nothing to do with their age. It has to do with people that sometimes are controlling. Yes, or have uh, they? They, you know, sometimes little small churches they have a power broker in there that views whoever's coming in as a mega threat. Yeah, and they're not on staff. And and usually they're not on staff. No, but but sometimes they sometimes they have to leave if there's resistance, and those are always difficult and challenging, and boy, we have some war stories to talk through <laughs> yeah, uh, about those, but 
Um, yeah, there's a there's a powerful redemption that happens. And so, you know, if you're a church that needs to be restarted, let me remind you of what um, Chuck told me. He said, I watched this church over the years dwindle, and people move and die. Mm-hmm. And he said, we were a great church, but we didn't want to close down. And we knew we had to do something. And so um, this was not what they wanted to do necessarily, but he felt like it was his responsibility not to let this church die. And I want to talk to, you know, if you're listening to me and you're an elder, maybe you don't even have a pastor, can I tell you God has placed you right now where you're at at this season, and part of your responsibility is not necessarily being comfortable, but part of your responsibility is not letting that church die. Mm. It wasn't built for for just our comfort or um, our, uh, knowing the people that were there. It was built for the sake of the gospel, mm. so make sure that it maintains the sake of the gospel. If you're a church that's looking to do restarts, uh, and you're a healthy, vibrant church that's looking to do restarts, um, I would challenge you also to make sure that you you do it with the right heart, with the right values, um, and please could I implore you to make sure that as you step into these spaces that you honor the people that have been there, that you honor the history of the church that's there, that you celebrate it, and that you integrate it. Don't view the people that are there as like, oh, can't wait to get rid of these people. There's some powerful, beautiful, faithful Mm. people that you need to integrate into your ministry. And so I would challenge you to make sure that you approach it slow enough to do that, but fast enough to do a restart, which is a delicate balance. Yeah, Yeah. timing. Yeah, What a great word. Powerful stuff. Pastor Mark, I would would like to ask you if you'd be willing to maybe um, close this time out and just maybe a prayer. A prayer for, you know, the church that's listening that is maybe thinking about being restarted. They don't have a pastor right now, the elder or the the deacon that's listening, or maybe the team, um, the pastor, the healthy church that's looking to step into this area, especially as there's going to be a great need, right? There's a great opportunity coming because there's a great need. Um, Would you just maybe pray a a prayer of faith and and blessing um, for all of that? Absolutely. I'd be happy to do that. New Life has been involved, I think, in 16, 17, I lose track a little bit, but somewhere around that, Mm -hmm. uh, restarts. Every one of them, its own challenge, but every one of them has a beautiful, powerful story of redemption. And um, so, Father, I do pray, even now, I pray for those elderly saints right now that are holding together a church that they've invested in, loved, poured their heart into, and that they're looking for direction right now. And they know that if something doesn't change, they may not survive into the next year. I pray that you would give them wisdom, discernment. I pray give them encouragement, God, that their labor has not been in vain. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for your perseverance. I pray, God, that they would, uh, that you would give them a sense of faith that you can resurrect that church and that Hallelujah. God has placed them there for the right season and the right time. So I pray against discouragement, Father. Mm-hmm. 
And so bless that team right now that you have placed at that this key moment yes, in history, Jesus, God. Yes, bless them with wisdom and discernment. Yes, I pray also, Father, for churches that yes. are growing, are healthy, that have the stamina, the energy, uh, the vision uh, to restart. We pray in Jesus' name that you would um, also give them the wisdom to discern through opportunities, not just to jump at every open opportunity, mm-hmm. but to make sure that it's a God opportunity. I pray that you would begin to provide leaders that have a vision for this, God. Mm-hmm. I pray, Father, that you would connect churches that need to be restarted with churches that have the ability to restart, Father, yes, in a divine, supernatural way, God, yes. a way that will honor you, God, a way that leaves the world with their mouth open saying, wow, I never knew the church could operate this way, God, Mm -hmm. in a way that's a testimony to our communities around us, Father. God, we do pray for our nation. We pray for the nations and our nation, God, that there would be a mighty wind of revival, God, giving birth to dry bones, God, opening up doors, God, and putting uh, lights of life-giving lights all over urban areas Mm. and suburban and rural areas, God. We do pray for the redemptive stories to be emerging all over this country as you do a new thing, Father, for your honor and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. To God be the glory. Amen. Amen. Man, guys, it's been a great journey talking about all things restarts, having you, Pastor Mark, thanks for being here and, um, you know, just packaging everything that we've learned over the last three decades uh, and giving it to our viewers so that um, the kingdom of Jesus would would reign. Um, And Eric, let me jump in and say this, and maybe you're going to say this already, but if some of our listeners are interested in more resources and information... um, if they go to uh, www.newliferestart.org, there's some videos, there's some resources. Um, if you're a pastor that has the ability to restart and you're interested in this, I would encourage you to go. Or if your church that's interested, you know, feel free to learn from us, feel free to um, copy us, feel free to take some of the philosophy. We really want people to yeah. uh, do this all over the country, but yeah. that's that's newliferestart.org. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We want to give you this content. That's our goal. It's our, it's our goal in this whole adventure is to just give you everything that we have about restarts. Um, we may never meet you. We may never have anything to do with your location or your church that may be getting restarted or the team that's going to go and take this and, and, and do some restarts. But we want to see uh, the church grow, especially here. We want to see the gospel of Jesus proclaimed. We want to see evangelism happen. We want to see lost souls won for Jesus. And, um, and so that's why we're doing this. And so it would mean the world to us. If, if this content is valuable to you, if you've benefited from this, we would, it would mean the world to us if you would share this with somebody. Maybe there's a church that needs to hear this. Maybe there's a team that needs to uh, look over these videos and visit this website, you know, newliferestarts.org. And we would love, love, love to, um, to give you what we have. And so um, make sure you subscribe to this podcast and share it with others. And uh, we're, we're glad to do this. So God bless you. And stay tuned to this podcast uh, um, channel for other series and other things um, about the church. God bless you.